Well, that's the song. That's the song about the second coming of Jesus Christ, or when we pass away, we wind up in his presence. I'm moving this down for normal people, because Ryan puts it up here for extremely long people. <laughs> so uh, anyhow, that, that, I, if you didn't understand what that flyaway business is, there's one or two ways we can get into heaven as a child of God. You see, I thought there was only one way. Well, there is, Jesus. But there's one or two ways we're going to enter into heaven, and that's either by the rapture or the catching out of God's saints from this earth, and all of our troubles will be over at that point, or it's when we pass away and we pass on to, we, we leave one room and go into an eternal room in the eternal presence of the eternal God, and we have eternal life forever. And those one or two ways you can get there. So I'm praying for the rapture. I, I want to just fly away one of these days. I think that would be a great thing to do. Uh, but either way, it's going to be a good transition. And you know what? We've we got today, yeah, I, I, they're, they're motioning, please move, leave uh, seats on the aisle because we've got people standing still. We do have some seats, choice seats right down here, Bo, so run them on down. All right, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and be seated, but we need to be in prayer today. Uh, we're going to do something special for the people in Maui uh, what a, an incredible tragedy this all is. So we're going to have prayer for them. But at the end of the, or at the, end of the announcements here in just a little while, we're going to receive an offering for them. So we're going to ask that you open up your wallets and purses and be generous. Everything that we give, every single penny that we take in, probably plus some because we generally add to offerings like that, uh, every penny that you give will be sent through more than likely Samaritan's Purse, because they already have boots, boots on the ground. That's Franklin Graham's organization. They're already there ministering. Um, uh, if something comes in a little bit later on because you weren't prepared to do it today, there is a possibility we'll send it through the Southern Baptist Convention to Maui because they have uh, relief teams and crisis teams that go in places like that as well. But it'll be one or two of those places, and we won't keep any of it here. I promise you that. We'll send it on. So uh, be prepared. And in just a few moments, we're going to receive an offering. And Steve, if, if a couple of you guys would, when I would get ready to, there's, there's an offering plate should be on right over there next to you. Uh, excuse me. Other side. There you go. And, and then uh, up here, maybe we can get a couple of guys to help up here in just a moment. But uh, we want to go to the Lord in prayer for them. We also want to pray for Jason and Jen because uh, their cousin, 13-year-old young man, passed away, uh, went home to be with the Lord. So we need to be praying for that family in a very special way. I can't imagine losing a child, especially a young child. Uh, and their mother, Heather, uh, his mother, Heather, was so very hopeful and faithful that he would be healed. Uh, it's a tragic time for them, so we want to pray for them as well. Um, and do we have our missionaries from Thailand? Are they here today? Okay, in a little bit, I'm going uh, to introduce you. Toward the end of the service, I want you to share about three minutes. These are not three preacher minutes. These are three real minutes. They're preacher minutes, my wife says, are like football minutes. Three minutes can go on for an hour, you know what I'm saying? So, but uh, we'll introduce the folks to you in just a moment. But let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. And besides the people of Maui, besides Jason and Jen and Heather, uh, I wonder if you have special needs. You'd raise your hand up real high, hold it up, and I'll see those. God bless each one of these, Father, everybody who raises their hand. Some who maybe didn't raise their hand out, outwardly, but inside they were raising their hands pleading for you needing you, 
as I was reading in Job today, <clears throat> there's a man who had everything, it seems like, and then lost it all. And I had to think, having it all, losing it all has got to be worse than never having had it all to begin with. And there he was sitting in the ash heap, scraping himself with pottery. <clears throat> his, his wife's uh, integrity, her faith was tried. Her children died as well. She lost all of her riches and, and her faith was wavering, but Job remained faithful. God, I pray that for these people that have had so much in Maui, maybe a, a wonderful life, living in what so many people think is probably one of the nicest places in the world to live, and yet they've lost, some of them, everything, family, businesses, houses, everything. God, I pray that you would find a purpose in all this. We live in a broken world, and things go wrong. Things happen like this. God, I pray that you would give them uh, grace and mercy in the midst of sorrow as they walk through these valleys. I pray for Heather in particular, this mom, this dear mom who really believed her son was going to be healed and <clears throat> probably wouldn't be of any help to her at this point, but he received the ultimate healing in going to be with you. And so, Father, we pray that you would encourage the family. We pray that you would lift them up and give them strength, God. We ask you to forgive us of our sins and bless us today. May we serve you. May we be faithful to you, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Welcome. If you're watching by way of Facebook or YouTube, either one, thank you so much for doing so. And all of you in the house of God, we've got, and I meant to pray for, uh, Calvin's got about, uh, I don't know, 10 or 15 guys that are getting ready to go through phase one, Bud's training. And uh, that's, a, that's an arduous training thing. It's, tr it's tough. It is absolutely everything you can imagine and everything you've heard and seen. It's, it's probably worse than that. So, uh, glad to have all you guys here. And I'm going to pray one more time just for you now. Father, for these young men who are here, who are facing uh, this next uh, several weeks of, of incredible training, Lord, I pray that you would be with them, keep them safe, keep them healthy, keep them physically and mentally, psychologically fit. And Father, we pray for your perfect will to be done in their lives. God, we thank you for our military here in Coronado, so uh, amazingly comforted by them and by their, their love of country and their love of, of you, so many of them. And <clears throat> Father, for their faithfulness and getting ready for this incredible time ahead of them to be in your house today is an amazing thing. So I pray that they all know you as their personal Savior, and if they don't, that today would be the day that that happens. And be with them and take care of them, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Right after services today, or right after the preaching, we're going to have a baptism today, so we're looking forward to that. And we're going to hear from missionary couple to Thailand, uh, who are actually from Thailand, uh, Siton and Penn. Is that right? Okay. And we'll tell you more about them a little bit later on. But today, uh, the title in our chronological study of the life of Christ, and then there were 12. Talk about the 12 disciples. Uh, military lunch will follow that on the patio. If you're an active military, you're invited to come and join in on that. Next week, the Sermon on the Mount, part one. I was going to do the Sermon on the Mount today, and I figured out, no, it's too much. So then I was going to do it next week, and I thought, there's too much for that. So I've, so far, I'm at Sermon on the Mount, part four, uh, sometime in September. So be praying that I get through the Sermon on the Mount before the Lord does come back. That, that would be a good thing. <laughs> And again, we have a need in the children's ministry for someone who loves kids. If you hate kids, I don't want you to volunteer. If you love kids, 
uh, and would work once a month in one of the kids' classes, I would appreciate that. Let us know. We'll tell you what you need to do, the background check for everyone. And uh, we, we've got training available, and you can be a helper or a teacher. Uh, so let us know, and we'll be glad to take care of that. So um, I don't even think I mentioned this. First-time guests, fill out one of these connection cards. If you fill this out, and give it to me or put it in the offering box in the back next to the double doors. That's the brown box with the cross on top to the left of the double doors. Uh, if you fill this out and you give us your address, your phone number, something like that, we, can, we will send you a Starbucks card, I promise you. And thank you for, so much for being in God's house today. Let me share this, and then we're going to receive the offering. Uh, this is something I wrote for the bulletin today. You have it in your bulletin. It says, last Sunday I posed the question, what did the disciples think about Jesus' healing of the man with a withered hand? I know the healed man was elated, as were his family and friends, no doubt. The Pharisees were seething with anger that Jesus would heal someone on the Sabbath day. They had a lot of problems. But what were the disciples thinking? Were they as overjoyed at the healing as the man was or as his family was? I hope so. But I theorize that perhaps after several weeks of seeing the multitudes healed and the demon possessed set free, some of the disciples might have begun to take the supernatural for granted. The miracles might have become routine to them, and that's a terrible thing. Do you realize that we had 200 people in this little church building last Sunday? In the heat and in the middle of summer, vacation season, we had amazing music with our praise team. The offering was very good. A young man walk the aisle receiving Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He's back today. And we celebrated Holy Communion together. Things like these are not happening in all churches everywhere. I get emails and articles all the time about churches closing and pastors leaving the ministry. Uh, folks, we dare not experience the unique blessings of Almighty God without having hearts of thanksgiving and gratitude. What God is doing here at First Baptist Church is supernatural. What God has done in our individual lives is supernatural. We can never thank him enough. Oh, God, may you continue to pour out your blessings on our congregation. You are amazing beyond our ability to adequately praise you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we need to have hearts of gratitude for what God is doing right here in Coronado. All right, if we, could have, if we could have one of you guys grab that and another, Steve, if you grab that offering plate and Paul, would you come up and Peter, would you mind? Uh, here's an offering plate. Pat, one-on-one -on -one aisle. Yeah, here they come. Pat, on this side. Yeah, well, here. He's going to be there. There we go. Okay, this offering is for the people in Maui uh, for relief efforts, so anything that you can do would be very much appreciated. I'm going to have you remain seated as the praise team sings. You came for criminals and every Pharisee came for hypocrites, even one like me. You carried sin and shame, the guilt of every man, 
a prayer inviting your Holy Spirit to be here because if he's not here then we meet in vain if he's not going to show then we would be better off just to go home so Father make us aware of your Holy Spirit make us aware that there's more going on than meets the eye there's more happening than just a couple of hundred people gathering together some kind of a social event. Help us to realize this is warfare, spiritual warfare. And Satan is opposing and the Holy Spirit is empowering. Help us to realize, God, that you have a plan for each one of us, a plan that cannot be improved upon. No matter how wise we think we might be, no matter what good advice we might get from someone else, it cannot be improved upon other than what you have for us. So, Father, bless us today and show up so that when this service is over, we'll say the Holy Spirit was there in this place. And for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. I'm going to ask the boys and girls, First Baptist Church, come on down to the front. Boys and girls, we're going to have a video. Let's get it ready pretty quick, and then we'll show it in just a moment. So when I was telling my wife, Miss Pat, I was telling her what I was going to preach on, and then there were 12, uh, she all of a sudden broke into a song about the 12 disciples. Do any of you know the song about the 12 disciples? I didn't know the song about the 12 disciples because, unfortunately, when I was a little boy, we didn't have anybody that taught us that song. So I've got a video up here, and we're going to go ahead and show you that video. So pay attention right up here, and some boys and girls are going to teach you a new song today. There were 12 disciples, Jesus called to help him. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, his brother, John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, and Bartholomew. He has called us to, he has called us to, we are his disciples, I am one in you. He has called us to, he has called us to, we are his That song, I had never heard that song before. Let's go ahead and stop it. Or not. <laughs> there were 12 disciples. Boys and girls, a disciple is someone who is a follower of Jesus. So really, you can be disciples, and I can, and we're supposed to be disciples. But then these 12 disciples, something else happened. They became apostles. I, I want our missionaries to Thailand. Would you stand just for a moment? I'm going to have you come later, but just stand up where you are right now. Uh, this is, boys and girls, you see these two people right back here? See them? Yeah, wave to them. They're missionaries. You know what that means? They have been called to go to people and preach the gospel. Miss Pat and I were missionaries to California, a crazy place. 
full of weird people, but God called us here. And we've been here now for over 50 years, right at 50 years. They've been in the field of Thailand, and they're gonna, we're going to hear more about their story in just a little while. But they, in a, in a sense, are apostles. They've been sent ones. So we all can be disciples, and in a way, we're all apostles. Not in the same way these 12 were, but we are sent Wherever you are, wherever you go to school, you're a disciple of Jesus if you believe in him. Wherever you go to work, ladies and gentlemen, whether it's in the military or you have a real job, either one. <laughs> just, a, just a joke, just a joke. A very bad one, but just a joke. No matter where we go, we are sent ones by God. So in a way, we're kind of like apostles. So wherever God sends you, be sure to represent him well. Let's pray, boys and girls. Father, thank you for each young lady and each young man down here, and we pray your blessings upon them. God, help them to love you, to serve you, to follow you, to be a disciple. And then, Lord, as you send them somewhere later on that they might be a testimony for Jesus Christ, whether it's across the seas or whether it's right here at home. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. And all the kids said, Amen. That's very good. Go ahead and go to your classes. All right. Thank you so much. Luke chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. How many have your Bibles? Let me see them. Let me see if you got your Bibles. It's not that I don't trust you. I just want to see it. Okay. All right. Good. Luke chapter 6, we're talking about being, uh, and then there were 12 is the title of the message. We're talking about being in uh, the area of Galilee in spring and summer of 31 AD to the best of our ability to be able to figure that out. And remember the initial four disciples? Remember the initial four we learned about in John's gospel chapter 1? John, James, Andrew, and Peter. They were disciples, and again, the word follow, they, they, the Bible says they followed Jesus in that first chapter of the book of John. And the word follow in the Greek meant to become a learner or a disciple of certain persons. So it was not just that they followed him like a stalker, okay? It wasn't that at all. It was they followed him, and what he said was important to them, and what he did was important to them. So they became followers of him. And we see them following Jesus in the early days of his ministry, but today we're going to touch on the formal calling of the 12, where Jesus actually chooses out, selects the 12 who would become known as the 12 disciples. And uh, these, these are chosen disciples or pupils and learners who would be known as apostles or sent ones. Mark chapter 3 and Luke chapter 6, the synoptic gospels, I, I keep saying that because I want you to remember what that is, synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the Gospel of John over here, Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of follow the same path pretty much, two or three of them recording the same events. John occasionally talks about something that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't talk about. You put them together, you have the life of Christ as God intended for us to know about it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. So Luke chapter 6 is where I'm going to take you right now. The parallel passage would be in Mark chapter 3. We see, first of all, his preparation. Speaking of Jesus' preparation, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It came to pass in those days that he went out to a mountain to pray. The word pray here, now we get the idea of, you know, uh, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. That's okay for a little kid to pray. Or we bow our head at the table, God, thank you for this food, amen. And that's okay to pray, but, but I'm going to challenge you this week. I'm going to challenge you when you pray to think about what you're saying and let, let it be rote, not let it be routine. 
Not let it be something that we always, always pray in a certain way. I, I want you to, to think the, the, the words have importance and meanings, and it, it would be better to say 10 words in a prayer, heartfelt and personal to God, than to say 100 words from just repeating uh, something that we don't even have to think about when we say it. So this idea of they went to pray literally means it's not just saying something terse like that. It means to beg, to ask, to beseech God, his Father. To beg, to ask, to beseech God, the Father. And not only that, but he continued all night in prayer to God. He prayed all night long. Much of what we learned to date in this study this year has been how Jesus has dealt with his enemies right? The Pharisees, so much of it has had to do with, with the enemies and how he dealt with them. Uh, he was firm with them. He was not afraid of them. He was always under control. Even when he drove the money changers out of the temple, he was not out of control. He had his, his emotions under control, and he was confrontational. He didn't just let it slide. He didn't just avoid it. He, he knew that there was a time when you have to confront some things, when you have to take care of them. In today's study, we're going to see, begin to see how he interacts with his disciples. And I'm telling you ahead of time, uh, the, the sermon is poorly named because even though it refers to the 12, I don't get much into the 12 today, so sorry about that. Uh, money back guarantee on that. So uh, Luke begins with Jesus going to his father in prayer on the mountains, and he continued all night in prayer. Now, this indicates the seriousness of, about, of what was about to happen. It's a serious thing whom he's going to choose to be part of his team part of his 12, the apostles. And so he prayed all night. I, I wonder, and I don't ask for a show of hands. Um, if we did, I don't think I'd be able to raise my hand. I don't think I've prayed all night long ever. Uh, I mean, just all night long from the time. I mean, instead of going to bed, you start praying and you pray until the sun comes up. I, I don't believe I've ever done that. I've done a lot of earnest praying. I've done a lot of beseeching. I've done a lot of begging of God uh, at various times and various hours, sometimes in the middle of the night. Um, but here he prayed all night long. And this wasn't a really unusual thing for Jesus to do. So I, I want you to notice he went to the mountains to do this. Now, you don't have to, but he went to the mountains to do this. The association of making prayer to God and the mountains and the wilderness actually is common. In Luke chapter 9, verse 28, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up to a mountain to pray. In John chapter 4, verse 20, you remember Jesus was having dialogue with a Samaritan woman, the half-breed that he shouldn't be associating with as a Jew, at least according to their Jewish customs. Uh, and, and they talk about worship, and uh, she says, our fathers worshiped in the mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And she challenges him about that. But the point is, that the Samaritans taught they were supposed to go to the mountains to pray. In Mark chapter 6, verse 46, when he had sent them away, Jesus that is, he departed into a mountain to pray. So mountains were places to pray. Um, I, I have a guy, a good friend uh, in the other church where I pastored for 41 years who, uh, I mean, he was there the whole time I was there, so, and he's still there. But he talked about loving to go to the mountains to pray. And I said, well, it's really interesting. If he ever was gone on a Sunday, I'd say, well, it's interesting that you're going to worship God with a fishing rod uh, or a shotgun. I, I don't understand that part of it uh, during dove season. But anyhow, uh, there, there was the direct correlation between going to the high places and 
these aren't really mountains like most of us think of mountains. They're, they're hills. They're, they're like foothills uh, rather than big mountains, but they go there to pray. So these mountains or these high places were favorite places for both believers in Jesus and pagans uh, to go to, to worship. I guess maybe the idea is getting closer to God as we, you know, we go up, we ascend, and we believe that God's in heaven, so we're getting closer to him. Maybe, maybe that's the reason uh, to get physically closer to God. However, a problem early on developed in the high places, and it's well documented in the Old Testament, especially during the times of the divided kingdom. There was a lot of paganism going on. In fact, Solomon, the most uh, the, the wisest man who ever lived, uh, fell into gross sin of setting up uh, idols in high places uh, and worshiping the, the gods of the wives that he married. So it was really the lady's fault. Uh, another very bad joke. Uh, sorry about that. So far, I've alienated the military and the women, so I'm in big trouble here. Pagan or idol worship is bad regardless of where it takes place, regardless of when it takes place. Buddhism in uh, Thailand, right, 94%, is that right, of the population, Buddhists? I don't know. Do Buddhists worship Buddha, or is he just more a philosopher for them? Do they, wor- do they worship him? Okay, okay, we'll, we'll find out more about that in a little bit. Uh, so some pagan worship deals with idol worship, actual statues or uh, likenesses of their god uh, or icons that are used in worship, and those are strictly forbidden in the Word of God. God wrote with his finger these words in stone, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. And then he lists some blessings upon those who keep the commandment and curses upon those who break the commandment. But I want to direct your attention for a moment to Isaiah 44 in the Old Testament uh, in verses 8 and 20. It's a little bit of a long passage, but listen to what it says. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purpose for you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No, there is no other rock, not one. How foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they're all put to shame. But who but a fool would make his own God an idol that cannot help him one little bit? All who worship idols will be disgraced along with all the craftsmen, mere humans, who claim they can make a god. They may all stand together, but they will all stand in terror and shame. The blacksmith stands at the forge to make a sharp tool, pounding and shaping it with all of his might. His work makes him hungry and weak. It makes him thirsty and faint. Then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with chisel and plane, and he carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain, and he uses part of the wood to make a fire. Then he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat, 
and to keep himself warm. And he says, ah, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and makes a god, a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my god. Such stupidity and arrogance. Their eyes are closed. They cannot see. Their minds are shut. They cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops, stops to reflect. It's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a god? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all, yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? It's just a block of wood. It's just a fabricated piece of metal. It's just a picture. It's just a painting. The truth is, that we who would never carve an idol out of wood, I'm not, I have never carved an idol out of wood. I've never bowed down to an idol, uh, whether it's a statue made of plaster or marble or whether it's made of wood or some metal. I have never bowed down to that. But people who would never, ever carve a god still make gods for themselves. And it's not above you and me to make a god for ourselves. Solomon, wisest person who ever lived, I believe a righteous individual. I believe he was a believer. And yet, he worshiped idols later in life. The real insidiousness of idolatry, and here's where it trips us up. Pay attention to this. You can sleep the rest of the message. Pay attention to this, okay? The real insidiousness of idolatry is that it oftentimes evolves out of things that have a legitimate place in our lives. What do you mean, preacher? Money. We need money. Now, more and more, I'm not using the green stuff. I'm, I'm using my wallet, my electronic wallet. I love it. You don't have to pay for anything anymore. You just click it. And <laughs> the waiter says, that's good. It's taken care of. Thank you very much. And, and uh, some is necessary, right? Wouldn't you agree? Some money is necessary. Um, Jesus had his disciple go down and catch a fish and pull a coin out of his mouth to pay the tax that they owed. Uh, so with his taxes, we need money for food. Most of us, we, we don't grow our own. We need money for uh, housing, and we need money for clothing. So you need it, and, and it's necessary. Some is necessary, but so, some get hooked on it, and some can never have enough of it, and it becomes an idol worship, worshipped by people because it becomes the supreme thing in their life. Power. We all need some strength. We all need some ability. We all need to get up in the morning. That takes energy. It takes muscle. It takes power. It takes the ability to be able to get up, to be able to stand up, to be able to take a step. So we all have to have a certain amount of power. We have to have a certain amount of power to, to go to work or to do whatever it is we're going to do today and to lead and, and to go through uh, first phase. You need all of that. You need, but, but power, and you see these guys that are kind of, you know, in the gyms, they kinda, they're kind of cut like your preacher. Uh, <laughs> not a joke there, not a joke. You see these guys, every once in a while, I saw one yesterday. We were eating lunch at Chipotle and IB, and some guy walked in there. He looked, 
He couldn't put his arms down. <laughs> and you know what? That can become an idol. Our own physical bodies can become an idol, something to develop something that we have pride in, something that becomes more important than it should be to us. Food is important. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point. You say, well, preacher, you should. You're pre- you go get your own church and preach if you want to spend a lot of time on food. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. You have to have a certain amount of food, right? You have to. I mean, you have to. You, you, you don't exist if you don't take in nutritious substances, food. And, and so, but then it can become controlling to us and it can cause us all kinds of problems and grief. The same thing with sex. In God's roles that he's appointed it for, it, it's appropriate, it's good, it's, it's a great thing. Out of control, it can be adultery, it can be infidelity, it, it can be uh, pornography, it can be a, 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 a trap, it, it can destroy us. Self-awareness is good. You need to be uh, aware of yourself, and your, but, but narcissism is bad. Happiness is great, but some people live for joy and for that rush they get when they have fun doing something. Uh, distraction. Sometimes distractions are good. We just need to kind of sit down and zone a little bit. But some people love to zone all day long. <laughs> Drugs are sometimes important to control pain, to control uh, problems that we're having physically or emotionally, but then they can become objects of worship. We call it addiction. So the insidiousness of some idolatry for Americans, I don't know, I don't know anybody, I do not know of anybody who bows down to some kind of a statue to worship it. I, I don't know anybody like that, but, there, but I know lots of us who have other idols in our lives. So Jesus' prayer meetings in the mountains were, of course, spiritual, godly, and powerful. There was no idolatry going on. There was no paganism going on. He didn't carve out a god out of a piece of wood. He, he knew that the Father, and, the, and he knew that he, and he knew the Holy Spirit were God, three in one. Yeah, how do you explain that, preacher? I don't. I don't. It's a supernatural thing. How do you explain it? I just know this, that in the beginning God created. That's a plural name for God, by the way, Elohim. It's a plural and, and I know that the Bible says that there is one Lord, one God in Deuteronomy. And I know that God the Father is called God, and the Son is called God, and the Holy Spirit is God. So you have three in one. I don't explain it. I believe it. So here he is, the Son of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, talking to God the Father and pleading with him and begging him. And here's a thought. If Jesus needed prayer before a significant event like this, how much more does Jim Bays need prayer? How much more do you need to pray? Second point is this, his callings. When it was that day he called, in other words, here he chose for a purpose. He didn't just call out names randomly. He, he chose for a purpose unto him his disciples, his learners or his pupils. Mark says, in addition, he goes up to a mountain and called unto him whom he would or those whom he wished. Jesus knew ahead of time who he was going to call. 
And they came to him, and one of them, uh, he chose 12, and, and of them, rather, he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. And again, the word translated apostle indicates a distinctive relation of the 12 whom he chose to be his witnesses. In classic Greek, classical Greek, uh, the word apostle is, is hardly ever used, or the Greek word for apostle is hardly ever used, seldom used. But it's used here, and, and it's, it's an office instituted by Christ to witness of him before the whole world. It also designates the authority by which he was called, uh, and the, they were called, rather. And that authority is none other than the Son of God. So first he calls them. Then he comes down from the mountain with his 12 now. And here's this multitude waiting for him. Again, that's what they did. He came down with them in Luke chapter 6, verse 17, stood in the plain, uh, a meadow area, still in the high places. He came down to a level place uh, and a plain and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of Judea and Jerusalem. Now, in addition, uh, from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. I was going to have a map up here and show you what that, where that is, but if you'll remember uh, in the Holy Land, I guess I better turn this way. In the Holy Land, you've got up here in the north part, the Sea of Galilee, which is also the Sea of Tiberias, which is also Lake Gennesaret. And, and then to the, uh, to the left or the west would be uh, the Mediterranean Sea, right on the coastline above this lake and on the coast are Tyre and Sidon, two of the towns from, who, from where uh, some of these multitudes gathered. And, and they came to hear him, and they came to be healed of their diseases, and they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went out virtue out of him, and he healed them all. The latter part of that verse, 19, when, when they wanted to touch him, and, and virtue would go out of him, reminds me of the touches of Jesus. And you'll recall the same language when I preached a couple of years ago, about the lady who had the issue of blood for 12 years. She went to the doctor. She spent all that she had. Nobody could help her. Nobody could heal her. And she touched but the hem of the garment. And in this massive crowd, and Jesus right in the middle of it, and she reached out somehow and was able to touch the garment that he was wearing, he stopped dead still and said, who's touched me? And the disciples said, Lord, People are bumping up against you and touching you all over. There's a, there's a who knows who, who touched you. Well, Jesus knew. And that virtue that went out of him, that healing power, that health that flowed from him to uh, the woman was the same type of thing that he ta talks about here where people wanted to touch him because if they could just touch him, that virtue, that goodness, that, uh, that amazing, uh, that, that miraculous healing would flow from him. And next, then, Jesus teaches his 12 about the significance of discipleship. And this is the famous Sermon on the Mount. This is where the Sermon on the Mount really begins. And it's Luke chapter 6, verse 13 through 16. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. It says here, when it was yet day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. And here they are, Simon, whom he also named Peter. So we know him, right? Everybody knows the apostle Peter. Uh, maybe you knew he was Simon before, maybe you didn't, but uh, I, I like Peter. He's kind of in your face. He's, he, what, he, whatever he's thinking, he says, which I don't know why I like that, but 
and I know it gets me in trouble. I know, but, uh, but it, it is Peter. And Andrew, his brother, who found his brother Peter and took him to the Lord. There's some great stories here about this. James and John, who were also fishermen. Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew and Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus. James the Less, also known as that. Simon called Zelotes, another, uh, another Simon, separated from Simon Peter. And Judah, the brother of James. And Judas Iscariot which also was the traitor. Now, all four Gospels and the book of Acts and the book of 1 Corinthians attest to the selection of these 12 as his disciples who were going to become and would become and are here his apostles. A 12 is a highly symbolic number to the Jews in the Old Testament. Uh, the number 12 evoked the sons of Jacob. He had 12 of them, and the tribes of Israel, later named after the sons of Jacob. So we're going to find out more about these disciples next week, the Lord willing. But here's what we learned today. Jesus prepared for the ministry by praying to his Father all night on a mountain. There are about a dozen different lessons we can learn there. God help us to prepare for what God has for us by praying to our Father all night if necessary. On the mountain, on the high, may not be a physical high place, but uh, get close to God and pray. Secondly, we learn that he called his apostles. I believe everyone who is saved has a calling. We have a little uh, a motto here, every member a minister. We don't say it nearly enough, but every member a minister. You see up here the eight people today, nine people last week, uh, Every member, they're exercising ministry. We have, right now, we have uh, probably uh, four or five people in these two rooms over here exercising their ministry. We have in the nursery uh, two or three people exercising their ministry. We have uh, in the sound booth four, pe three people exercising ministry, and Nick's sitting there sleeping. Uh, they, <laughs> just kidding. What is the matter with me today? I, I didn't have too much coffee. honestly didn't. I don't know. So, and, and we have, but we have people doing ministry all over the building, all over, and and all during the week. We have Julie doing ministry all week long. We have Bobby doing ministry all week long. We have Isaac does ministry uh, here, and and so uh, everyone I believe who is saved has a calling. Do you know Romans eight twenty nine? We know Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for the good to them that love God, them that are called according to his purpose. But listen to verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. He has a plan for you if you're a Christian. He has a call for you if you are a Christian. I, Robin Nicholson posted uh, a verse today, Jeremiah 29, 11, which is in my message, and I told her that, so she's watching. So, hi, Robin, we miss you. Uh, come back home sometime. Uh, and, and it's this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, plans to give you a future and a hope. Man, who can't be encouraged by that verse, huh? I mean, Almighty God says he has a plan for you. And that that plan is for good, not for evil, and, and it's to give you a future and a hope. We got a future. Uh, God's got a plan, Gary, and, and I hope you get great news tomorrow, and I hope that uh, everything, but you know what? Regardless, he's got a plan. 
And, and he has a future and a hope for all of us. And that future and that hope goes beyond. We already have it. it eternal life is something you already possess if you're a born-again child of God. Not something that's going to happen someday. It, it's already happening. You say, well, you, you mean we're not going to kick the bucket? Uh, yeah, we're, you know, unless the Lord comes back, we're going to pass away. But we'll close our eyes in this room and open them in a whole other room, much more glorious than this one could ever be. And then 1 Peter 1, 2 says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. So here's what I believe. Someone says, well, you, you believe God creates some people and sends them to hell and God creates other people and sends them to heaven? Not really. I believe that God's foreknowledge comes first. He knows who's going to respond, and then election is next. So he has a plan, a plan for good and not for evil, uh, to give us a future and a hope, and then he predestinates us in that plan. Ephesians 1, 4 says, Even before the world was made, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance, and the King James Version says, predestinated us to adopt us into his own family, by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus, this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So you know what? Uh, God's got a plan. God's got a plan for my life. And things don't go the way that I want them to go. He's still got a plan. You know, my train can get off the track. His is always on track. My timetable can get all messed up. He's always on time. There's that song, On Time God, right? He's an on time God. We get ahead of him sometimes. We lag behind him too many times, but he's always on time, and he's got a plan. He's got a plan for you. Are you ministering in the way that God has for you to minister? Third thing is, we learn the names of the 12 disciples who would now become apostles. Next week, we're going to learn some details about those that we can learn details about. But I'll just tell you this. They, they were a mixed group of people with different personalities and gifts and traits and abilities. And I wonder if we're going to identify with any of them. Hopefully, if we do, it won't be the two or three about what you said. The Scriptures say little else could be said about them. There are two or three of them that we know their name. That's all we know. Now, it doesn't mean they didn't do something for God. It just We don't know anything about it. And hopefully, people will know what we believe. They will know us. Where's that song? By our something. By our what? By our love. They will know us by our love. Yeah, second commandment. Well, first commandment, love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second commandment, Jesus says to love others as we love ourselves. So uh, hopefully they'll know that. Last thing I want to, we didn't really learn this yet, but I'm, I'm going to give you a little sneak thing on this. Judas never was a Christian. Judas didn't lose his salvation. Judas never was a believer in the sense of receiving Christ as his Savior. He was, I think, drawn and attracted to the whole idea of the Messiah and a Savior who would deliver them from Rome, but I don't think he ever, the Bible, in fact, says he was a devil from the beginning. So he was, he was filled with Satan and did Satan's bidding. But what are you doing for God? Hopefully we're not doing Satan's bidding. Hopefully we're not succumbing to idol worship and pagan worship by things that by themselves are nice and good in moderation but become overwhelming and addictive if we carry them too far. Next week we'll talk about the 12 disciples, but right now would you bow your heads with me? If God has saved you, God has called you. 
He has a plan. He has a purpose. He foreknew you would accept or reject. Have you received him? What does that mean, preacher, to receive Christ? It means, it means you've put your full trust and confidence in him for everlasting life. It means you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the son of Almighty God, that he was nailed on that cross, that he literally died, that he was buried in a borrowed tomb, that he rose again literally and physically from the grave three days later, and that he's alive forevermore. And that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart, God has raised him from the dead, that we can be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you would like to call upon the name of the Lord right now where you're seated, would you pray this prayer? You can say it out loud or you can say it in your heart. God knows it doesn't matter which way you do it as far as I'm concerned. But would you pray this? Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm going to have to stand before you one day and I'm not ready yet. I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he was buried and rose again after three days and three nights. And right now, I put my full confidence and trust in Jesus Christ. Not in myself, not in my works, not in the church, not in the baptism, not in the Holy Communion. I put my faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Save me. Give me everlasting life, I pray. With every head still bowed, please no looking around, every head still bowed. If you just prayed that prayer silently or out loud, would you raise your hand up real high? Hold it up real high for just a moment. God bless you. God bless you, you and you. Yes. Anyone else? Thank you. Yes, God bless you. Anyone else? You can put your hands down. Anyone else besides these? Father, we thank you for these four, five, six hands, people who've trusted, put their full faith and confidence in you and in you alone. God, you never fail us. You never, ever lie to us. You never, ever forget about us, Lord. You love us. You have a plan for us and it's for good, and it's to give us a future and a hope. So thank you for salvation available through Christ. Lord, there may be others here who need to follow you in believer's baptism. We're going to be baptizing in just a moment. Maybe others who need to join the church, you're leading them to do so. Whatever you're impressing people to do, God, may we be the minister, the apostle, the disciple that you want us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us now together? And as we stand, our praise team is going to lead us in a verse or two. And as they do so, if God is leading you to come and receive Christ or let people know you've trusted the Lord or to join the church and be baptized, you come ahead right now and we'll have a word of prayer with you. We're not going to sing a long time. We're going to sing a verse, maybe two, no more than two verses. So if you're going to come, come ahead as they sing on the very first word. Step out.
be seated. I, I am so pleased to be able to introduce these, this couple to you. So I'm going to ask Seton and, and, uh, and his Jen to come up, if you would, right now. And I'm going to need the red microphone, uh, if you can dial that up for us. They're from the Lawa tribe in northern Thailand, near Burma. Comes from a Christian family, was saved in November of 1976, and then called into ministry as a teenager. Both he and his wife, Pen, are graduates of Bangkok Bible College. They have one daughter named, is it Nook? Nook, all right. And after pastoring a church in Bangkok from 1985 to 1991, they came to the United States in 1992, joined the Meadow Creek Baptist Church, Pastor Randy Lloyd in Bedford, Texas. And he has his license to evangelize and preach to the Thai people since 1994. He has a master's of theology from Texas Baptist College and was ordained uh, by Baptist Bible, is it Baptist Bible Temple? BBT? Okay. In 1998, received his doctorate from the Louisiana Baptist University on May the 12th of 2000, then went back to Thailand as missionaries sent by Meadow Creek Baptist Church in 2000, August of 2000. So would you take three regular, real minutes yes, <laughs> and tell people what's going on in Thailand? Thank you very much, Pastor. Uh, I really thank God for people in this country. Over 70 years ago, there was two missionaries went to Thailand and win, uh, they, they went to northern part of Thailand and they win my dad to the Lord. We are from Lawa tribe in, Tha in Thailand. There are nine groups of Lawa, you uh, uh, tribe people. One of them was Lawa. Lawa, they know nothing about other religious. The only thing they know is evil spirit worship. My dad, before he gets saved, he is a demon possessed who have unclean spirit live in his life. It come to the point that time he violent, threat people, and even my mom, which pregnant me during that time, he threat her, and they have to send my mom away from that, otherwise he going to hurt him. And until, and no one can control, and they have to call police, came to arrest my dad, and chain him, put him in jail, in prison. But you know what? Two of missionary went to see my dad. One of, one of them who lead my dad, his name Eugene Nelson. He lived there in Abab uh, Sakamito, uh, 2015. I get a chance to meet him. He, he, I, I asked him, how you can uh, approach my dad with gospel when he dread you? He said, you know, God give us the way to reach your dad and that your dad got saved in that prison. I thank God for the people in the country. And also, I was saved when I was 17 years old. When I was, the, the reason I was saved, because one of the questions that I cannot answer is, if, if I would die today, tomorrow, where will I go? I can't answer until that night when I decided to receive Christ as my personal savior. I have great joy and peace, and now I have, have answered that if I die today, tomorrow, I will be in home with, with the Lord. And also that night, you know, I, it seemed to me, I have a new eye for myself. Now I am a child of God. I know where I'm going. But how about other Thai people who do not heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to tell other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. That day, also I gave my life to serve the Lord. I really want, want to thank God that God saved me and he allow me to live until now, let me serve him. 
we went back, uh, we came here, uh, lived here eight years, and then we went back uh, 2000. We, we thank God for that he allowed us to have five church now. And one of the things I really want you to pray for and ask your hand to help, we want to have a Christian school which we can train young people, let them know the Lord, and we can send them back to the society. And remember, Thailand is a, right now we have 71 million people, and 94% is Buddhist, 4% is Muslim, less than 1% is Christian. Christian, uh, if we, uh, this, this year, our goal is to build a Christian school and uh, right now, we thank God we're able to raise some support. And this trip, we really want to uh, raise another $55,000 to, to be f f finished uh, our project. So if we can find one hand, give 500, we only need around one, uh, 110 hand to give us. So I, want, I would like to ask you to pray for us pray for our work in Thailand. Thank you very much, Pastor. Thank you. God bless you. Appreciate it. So, so you need 110 people to give $500 each. How about if our church gives you 1000 Would that be okay? All right, we'll do that. We'll give them 1000 Julie, write the check. All right. We'll always be glad to be able to baptize believers, those who put their faith and trust in Christ. And sometimes people who've been saved for a while realize that they need to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. And we have a gentleman who is going to come right now, Christian Garner. And Christian was, uh, was originally, go ahead and be seated that way, was originally sprinkled as a, turn around the other way, as a child, as a baby, like a lot of folks here probably were, but he realized later on that wasn't really a baptism, that was just being sprinkled and getting wet. And then later on, he did follow the Lord, but he, he wasn't, it wasn't exactly the right situation, and so he wants to come and make certain of his obedience to the Lord and his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christian, have you put your full faith and trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I am. All right, because of that profession of faith, then it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his glorious resurrection. Amen. Amen. God bless you. All right, sir. There's a handle right here. Yeah. So I want to encourage you, if, if you have not been baptized by immersion, to consider doing so. We'd be glad to take care of it any time. Just let us know ahead of time. We'll have the baptistry filled and even have it warm. It kind of feels good. It's kind of like I think I might sit in it a little bit after church for a little while. Pastor's jacuzzi right there. So let's stand. We'll be dismissed in order of prayer. Our Father, how good you are to us. Lord, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve any of your blessings. Your mercy and your grace are amazing. So I pray, God, that you would be with each one of us today. Lord, help us to love you, to serve you. Help us to serve people. Help us to be obedient disciples and, in a sense, apostles. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. May God richly bless you the rest of the Lord's day. Thank you for being here.